Well, I'm glad to be back. Next week, we're going to start our spring series. We're actually going to be in the book of Matthew for most of the semester. We're going to be talking about Jesus, our King, throughout the semester and how we can follow Him well. And we'll be looking at that through the book of Matthew. But this morning, we're not yet starting that. We're going to talk about prayer this morning. Because I thought as we begin a new semester, begin a new year, I know for many of us, there are a a number of things on our hearts and our minds that we want to be in prayer about. Many of them relate to this congregation. Many of them relate to this church. Many of them relate to your own walk with the Lord, your families. And so we're going to talk about prayer. Every time I talk about prayer, though, I have to admit, uh, I feel a bit overwhelmed for a couple of reasons. One, because like many of you, I know that I could do a lot better in the area of prayer. The other reason is because it's a huge topic. Uh, As you look at the scripture, there is so much information about prayer that it's overwhelming to think about covering prayer in one sermon. So in the past, we've even done whole series on prayer. There are books and volumes and series written on the subject of prayer. Uh, I went to Christian book distributors this week. I went to their website and searched for prayer as a keyword, searching for books about prayer on this website yields 16,000 results of books about prayer. Let me just give you some of the titles. The Power of a Praying Wife, or a Praying Husband, or a Praying Teen, or so on. It's a whole series. How to Pray with Passion and Power. Prayer, Does It Make a Difference? The Power of Persistent Prayer. Praying God's Word. How to Pray with Power and Authority. Prayers That Rout Demons. Prayers That Bring Healing. Prayers that activate blessings, spiritual warfare prayers, praying circles around your children. I'm sure that's a great book, but the title always causes me to pause because I can't get my kids to sit still long enough to pray circles around them. Pocket prayers, prayers for people under pressure. Actually, every time I preach on prayer, I think I need that book. Prayers for people under pressure. Prayer is a vast subject. And it's a tough discipline, I think because it's something we all know we ought to be doing more of, but if we're honest, we are not praying as often or as powerfully as we would like. Uh, I often think that prayer is a little bit like flossing. Uh, Some of you know that you should be flossing, probably most of us, if you're like me, you know that you should be flossing, but you're not flossing as often as as you could be. So if you're like me, you go to the dentist a couple times a year and the hygienist might say, have you been flossing? And if you're like me, you say, I have been this morning, right? I have been flossing for at least today and maybe yesterday because I knew I was coming to the dentist. But if we're honest, uh, we do not floss as often as we should, even though we know it's good, even though we know it's valuable. There are a few of you in this room that you love to floss, Right, You wake up in the morning and you're thinking about flossing. Right, You go to bed at night and it is just something you relish as part of your nighttime routine. I get to floss before my head hits the pillow and that just gets you through the day. Right, You're a little bit weird if that's you. Right, I'm just going to be honest. You're unusual. For most of us, it's a discipline that we know we should practice, but we don't as often as we ought to. I think prayer a lot of times is the same. Every time I preach about prayer, I feel convicted about my own prayer life. There are barriers to praying well that all of us face. 
So what I want to do this morning as we talk about prayer is really I just want to outline some of the barriers that we face when we approach the subject of prayer. What are some of the things that make prayer hard to do? And then secondly, uh, why is it worth it even though it's hard to do? And then before we wrap up, we're going to talk about just a few ways to get started, to move to the next step in your prayer life. Uh, The goal is not that you will go from, say, you're a 50 on how well you pray. The goal is not that you will leave here and you're at a 100, right? I think the goal is, let's say you're at a zero. You go, you know what? If I'm honest, I don't pray. Maybe you can go to a five or a 10, right? Maybe you're at a 10 and you say, I'm just going to take the next step. I'm going to get to a 15 or a 20. I just want to press forward in my walk with God when it comes to prayer. And so that by the time we walk out, we have a couple of ideas to say, look, this is just the next step because learning to pray for all of us is a lifelong process. We will grow and we will learn to do better and we might slide back and we might fail and then we will push ahead and grow a little bit more. And so we want to look at how can we grow. All right, but, but before we get there, what I want to talk about is why is it tough? Right, if we're honest, most of us recognize that prayer is difficult. The question is, why is it so difficult? I think there's a few reasons. All right, the first one is this. Uh, we don't believe it really matters. Now, that's a stark statement to say because uh, many of us go, no, 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 I believe it matters. I really do. But if we're honest, we're not sure, are we? Uh, Because a lot of times prayer feels like an exercise in futility. We pray and it doesn't seem like anybody is listening. Uh, Maybe there are things we have prayed for for years and we don't see God answering. And so we're not sure that it matters. We wonder, is anybody listening on the other end? When I was in college, I had a roommate who would routinely fall asleep if we got into a conversation at night. So I would be talking to him, and I would be sharing uh, the secrets of my heart, and I would hear his light snoring from across the room and realize I'd been talking into thin air. Sometimes prayer feels like that, if we're honest. If you feel like that about prayer, by the way, rest assured, you are not alone. As you read through the scriptures, in fact, particularly as we read through the Psalms, we see quite frequently David and the other writers of the Psalms wrestling with prayer. Does God listen? Does God answer? Is God there? Look at Psalm 102 for a moment. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Let my cry for help come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day of my distress. Incline your ear to me in the day when I call. Answer me quickly. I lie awake. I have become like a lonely bird on a housetop. You have lifted me up and cast me away. My days are like a lengthened shadow and I wither away like grass. And he's saying, God, listen hear me. How many times here does he say, listen, let my cry come to you. Don't hide your face. Incline your ear. How many ways can he say, please listen, answer. The imagery he uses here is of a lonely bird on a housetop. I can't think of any sadder imagery. He says, when I pray, I feel like I'm a little bird sitting on a housetop, twittering into the air. Right? So we wonder, does prayer matter? If you wonder that, you are not alone. And we're going to talk 
about why it does in a few minutes. But that's the first barrier. We're not sure we believe it actually makes a difference. Secondly, we are very distracted. We are very distracted. If you were around at our Anderson campus on New Year's Day, I talked about how distraction is one of the main things, I think, that keeps us from walking with God. Right? We are a distracted people. Certainly, we have social media that creates distraction for us so easily, whether it's Facebook or Twitter. But I think there's more than that. If you're like me, you sit down to pray and everything throughout the day or even throughout your life begins to circulate through your mind except for what you're trying to pray about. Everything comes into your mind except for God himself, right? So you sit down and all of a sudden you start thinking, I wonder what happened to that kid who played Elliot in E.T., right? And and you just start to think about that. How many people have liked my Facebook status from last night? Did I, did I change that light bulb in the bathroom? Right? What are the kids doing? Are they hurting each other right now while I'm trying to pray? Right? Some of the queries that we have these days, the danger is we think about them and actually Google can answer our questions. So we have our phone right next to where we're praying and we pick it up and we start to get onto the internet instead of focusing in prayer. So we are distracted people. Right, uh, again, rest assured, distraction is nothing new. It's not unique to the internet age. I'm going to read to you a quote from 400 years ago by an English uh, pastor and poet named John Donne. John Donne says this, I throw myself down in my chamber and I call in and invite God and his angels thither. And when they are there, I neglect God and his angels for the noise of a fly, for the rattling of a coach, for the whining of a door, a memory of yesterday's pleasures, a fear of tomorrow's dangers, a straw under my knee, a noise in my ear, a light in my eye, an anything, a nothing, a fancy, a chimera in my brain troubles me in my prayer. Distraction is nothing new because we're restless in our hearts and our minds and the distraction emanates from hearts and minds that are un accustomed to being still in the presence of God. Sometimes we say, you know, I I would like to pray more, but I'm so busy. There's so much going on. I've got so many things to do. And I'd say, you're not too busy. You're too distracted. Because there is nothing more vital than engaging with God in prayer. That is where the work of the spiritual life is done. So we wonder if prayer matters, we're distracted. Thirdly, we feel, or maybe we are, guilty. As we come before God in prayer, all of us come before God as sinful people. And so often we ask for things, and, and it's interesting, the scripture does tell us that when we are in sin, when we are in unrepentant sin, that can actually hinder our prayer life. When we ask for things from God, look at the book of Isaiah So when you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. Yes, even though you multiply prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are covered with blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from my sight. Cease to do evil. And so the prophet says to the people of God, when you come and ask God for his blessing on your life, and yet you are in unrepentant sin, That hinders your prayer life. 
Right? Peter says something very similar in 1 Peter. You husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way as with someone weaker since she is a woman and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life. Why? So that your prayers will not be hindered. Men, that should be conviction that drives deep into your heart. Right? The way we treat our wives affects our prayer life. How many of us have entered into that moment of prayer aware of the unkind words, the evil things we have said or done? How many of us have entered into prayer unrepentant and unwilling to hear God's conviction? So often we are guilty. Often we actually feel guilty about something God has already forgiven us of as well. And the great challenge when we talk about sin is that we always come before God as sinners, right? So uh, sin can hinder our prayer life, but the, the irony here is the only way to move past that, the only way to continue in prayer is to continue to approach God, to approach God for forgiveness in a spirit of repentance. In other words, our temptation is to say, look, I am a sinner, so I will run away from God. But even in Isaiah, What God is saying to the people is, no, you come before me and you ask forgiveness and you allow me to lavish grace and mercy on you, to restore that relationship. But often, sin prevents us from drawing close to God. So we wonder if sin matters, we are distracted, we feel guilty, or maybe we are guilty. And then fourthly, we are simply prideful. We're simply prideful. We want to believe that we can handle our lives on our own. We want to believe that our own intelligence, our own strength, our own planning is enough to get us through. Uh, Many years ago, I had to learn a very humbling lesson in my own house, which is that as much as I would like to know how to do my own plumbing, It's always a disaster. So uh, I would change out valves or faucets or things like that. And invariably, I would end up with giant holes in the wall or water damage to the floor or the walls. The uh, sort of uh, turning point, the straw that broke the camel's back was uh, one afternoon I was trying to replace a very small valve underneath a bathroom sink. And uh, I thought I had replaced it and then As I went away and kind of turned everything back on, the valve snapped and broke, and I ended in a flood of high-pressure water that soaked me and the walls and the floor and filled the bathroom with water. And once I turned it off and kind of recovered, my sweet wife gently suggested that maybe plumbing was not my forte. I actually one time had a plumber after he repaired a gas heater that I had busted trying to fix it, pulled me out on the driveway and said, look, I'm okay with homeowners kind of doing their own repairs, but when you're talking about a gas appliance that could explode your home and your family, maybe call a plumber next time, right? I tried to think of something that I could say that would sort of put us back on even footing, you know, like, don't read the Bible without my help, right, or something like that. But I had to admit (laughs) that he had me. What was the problem? I was way too proud. We like to believe 
that we can handle things on our own. And I think the same is true when it comes to prayer. We go, prayer requires this humility for me to recognize I don't have my life under control. I can't control my spouse or my children. I can't control my coworkers. I can't even control the things that I think about and want to do. And so I need the power of God. In John chapter 15, Jesus said this to his disciples. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. When it comes to matters of eternal significance, apart from Jesus and the power of his spirit, we do nothing. Psalm chapter 138. For though the Lord is high, He regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. Prayer requires humility. And so we often refrain or stay away because we feel like we have it together. So prayer is difficult because we're distracted. We don't always believe it matters. We're sinful and we're prideful. Okay, but why does it matter? Why is it worth the effort despite all of those challenges? Let me offer just a few thoughts this morning about why prayer is worth the effort. First one is this. Jesus believed in prayer. Right? Jesus believed in prayer. So every time you are tempted to ask the question, does it really matter? Keep coming back to this. Jesus believed that it did. Not only did Jesus say that he believed it did, Jesus actually prayed. Look at a couple of these passages from the Gospels. Luke chapter 6. It was at this time that he went off to the mountain to pray and he spent the whole night in prayer to God. In the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house and went away to a secluded place and was praying there. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus has access to all the power of heaven at his disposal and yet Jesus, when he was on earth, said, Nothing matters more than getting up in the morning and praying. Before he chose his disciples, he prayed all night for wisdom from his Father. If Jesus believed it matters, then we can trust that it matters. If he needed prayer, we need prayer. Come back for a moment to our flossing illustration from the beginning of the sermon. Imagine you are at the dentist's office and the dentist says, look, you are developing some plaque. You need to floss. Have you been flossing? And you say, I have not been flossing enough. And and I always want to ask the dentist, have you been flossing? But imagine you ask that question and the dentist says, oh, no, I, I don't floss, right? I tell you to floss. I'm the dentist, right? But I don't floss, right? You would walk away and say, I'm never flossing Again, on the other hand, if the dentist said, no, flossing is the single most important thing I will ever do. I believe in it with a passion. It saved my teeth. It saved my marriage. It saved my life, right? You go, all right, maybe I will floss. Jesus believes that prayer matters, that it is in prayer that he connects with the heart of his Father. 
It is in prayer that he accesses the wisdom of his Father. And as not only our God, but also our model, where Peter will say, you follow in his footsteps. Jesus said, I am going to set the pattern I want you to follow. And the pattern is that prayer matters because apart from the power of God's Spirit in prayer, you will accomplish nothing for Him. Philip Yancey, in his wonderful book called Prayer Doesn't Make a Difference, says this, Skeptics raise questions about prayer's usefulness. If God knows best, what's the point? To such questions, I have no better answer than the example of Jesus who knew above any of us the wisdom of the Father and yet who felt a strong need to flood the heavens with requests. Jesus believed that prayer matters. If Jesus believed it matters, if Jesus practices it, then Jesus knew what is true, that God listens and he responds and prayer makes a difference. Because we cannot control the circumstances of our lives. We cannot control the things we think, say, or do apart from the power of the Spirit, which is why Jesus says, if you want to have an eternal impact, you need to abide in Him through His Spirit that lives in everybody who has trusted in Jesus Christ. So prayer is worth the effort because Jesus believed in prayer. Secondly, because we are fighting a spiritual Battle. In other words, the battle that we're fighting is not one of flesh and blood. Right? But it is a battle of a spiritual nature. Ephesians chapter 6, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Some time ago, I was watching an episode of the show Mythbusters. Some of you may have seen this show. They kind of take popular myths in culture and popular sayings and sort of test them out to see if they're true. And the one that they were testing on this episode was the the famous expression, never bring a knife to a gunfight. Right? And so uh, they determined, you know, if one person has a gun and another person has a knife, who would win? And they found that Basically, if you're within 10 feet with a knife, you could win, okay? But if you are outside of this 10 feet area, it's really true. You probably don't want to bring a knife to a gunfight. I think often in our lives, that's exactly what we do, though. We approach spiritual, eternally significant issues with tiny little weapons, like our own intelligence, our own strength, our own social ability, our own planning. And yet Paul says, no, this is not a battle against flesh and blood. So fleshly methods will never do. And so prayer matters because the battle we are in is spiritual. For the hearts and the minds of those around us who need to know Jesus Christ, who need to experience the victory over sin that is granted through the power of the Spirit to those who trust in Jesus. See, the the interactions that we have day in and day out are not simply with fleshly people, but also with people who have eternal value because God created them and who have an eternal destiny with Jesus Christ or forever separated from Him. And so every day at work, in your neighborhood, And even in your home, 
you're fighting a spiritual battle that requires the powerful weapon of prayer. Right, so prayer matters because Jesus believed it matters. Prayer matters because we fight a spiritual battle. Thirdly, prayer matters because God truly and really does listen. God truly and really does listen. Look at James chapter 5. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. Then he prayed again, and the sky poured rain, and the earth produced its fruit. In other words, what James is getting at here is that Elijah is not some sort of special being. Elijah is just a guy like you or me who was designated with a task by God to be a prophet to the nation of Israel. And he says, God told Elijah, look, pray in this way. And Elijah prayed, and all of the rain dried up. And then he prayed again, and it rained again. And he says, The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. When you and I engage God in prayer, God listens and God responds. That doesn't always mean that he responds as we expect. It doesn't always mean that he responds in our timing. Nor does it always mean that our prayers are consistent with his will because we're sinful people. But God hears. And we'll see this in a moment. The more we pray, the more in touch we will be with the heart of God and his will so that we become more and more confident that our prayers are being heard and God responds. One of my favorite prayer stories from history is about the Haystack prayer meeting. In the early 19th century, five college students in Massachusetts at a little college. One day decided to gather and pray that God would work among the nations to bring the gospel to people who had never heard it. And so as they gathered to pray, what happened is they were outside and it began to rain. And so they took shelter under a haystack. As I said, this was 200 years ago, right? So there were, I guess, haystacks everywhere. And so they went and took shelter under this haystack and they prayed for the work of God. And they said, as long as we're here and as long as it's raining, as long as we're not going anywhere, let's just pray that God will work among the nations. And out of that small prayer meeting with those five men was birthed a missions movement that really is the reason that in the United States today, we still focus on missions. One of those men, Samuel Mills, went on to form an organization that began encouraging and recruiting students to go overseas to share the gospel. And from that one meeting of prayer, uh, tens of thousands, and I'm not exaggerating, tens of thousands of college students over the next hundred years took up the charge to go overseas. From five young men who said, we will pray for God to work, the modern American missions movement was started because they prayed in keeping with God's purposes for the world and they believed God would listen. And I think all too often, if we're honest, in our hearts we say, you know what, I I have prayed. I have prayed for a family member to know Jesus. I have prayed for my kids to change their attitudes. I have prayed for my marriage. I have prayed for my coworkers, and I haven't seen God do what I want. And so in our cynicism and our anger and our bitterness, we just stop. 
But but like we see in Jesus' parable of the persistent widow, Jesus says, you you keep on knocking, you keep on praying. We don't always understand the full picture of God's heart. But we know he listens. We know he answers. And even in my own life, it's often a mystery. There are times that I have prayed for things that I want or desire and God hasn't answered. Things that I think are good and godly and right and God doesn't always answer the way that I want. And then there are other times that I have prayed and I've seen God begin to change hearts and minds, including my own. And I don't always understand. In fact, I rarely understand why God answers the way he does. But over time, as we pray, we begin to align with the purposes of God and have confidence that God hears and God listens. Fourth reason that prayer is worth the effort is this. Prayer draws us closer to God. I've I've hit on this a bit already, but prayer simply deepens our own walk with God. Prayer changes us into people who know and understand His will, right? So that what happens over time as we persist is we begin to pray for those things that matter not just to us personally, but matter to God. And so prayer deepens our walk with God. Uh, Many years ago, when I was uh, the college pastor here at Grace, I got an email one morning from a college student, and I loved his honest question. He said, when I come to pray, is it okay if I pray that God would give me a beautiful wife? Because he said, I'm struggling with that because I want a beautiful wife, right? That's what I want, but is that okay? Is it okay for me to pray that that's what God would give me, right? And I began to think about his question, and and as I formulated an answer, you know, here's here's essentially what I told him is, is I said, look, sure, it's okay. Bring your request to God. God already knows what you're thinking and wanting anyway. Right? He is a good, good father who desires to give good gifts to his people. But here's the deal. The more that you pray, the more you invest time in your relationship with God, you might find that when you're thinking about a, a spouse, there are other qualities in the long run that you want to pray for. Right? Because it, prayer is dangerous that way. The more that we pray, the more we may find that our actual desires shift so that you might find yourself praying for a wife whose heart is filled with love, who loves the word of God, who loves people, who is full of compassion and truth, right? Wanting a beautiful wife isn't a bad desire, but it's not the ultimate desire. And so the more that you pray, you might even find yourself praying, you know what, God, whatever would be best for me to serve you, married or not, I trust your will. So give me the strength and ability to follow where you lead, wherever that is. Right? See, when we're immature, often we pray for things like more money. As we mature, we pray God would make us content with whatever he provides. Sometimes when we're immature, we pray that our spouse or kids would act like we want them to act because that would make our lives so much easier. But as we grow and mature, perhaps we pray that we would be a reflection of Jesus Christ to our family. And that in his timing, in his way, he would transform their hearts and minds as well.
So prayer deepens our walk with God. Okay, so as we talk about prayer this morning, the odds are good that you're like, okay, yeah, prayer is tough. I get that prayer is worth the effort, but I don't even know where to start, right? Uh, I want to actually pray. I'm with you. I understand prayer is worth the effort. Let me give you a few thoughts then before we close. How can we grow? Just a few very practical ideas. How can we grow in prayer? Right. First of all, I want to say this. If you're here this morning and you don't yet have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, the first thing to do is to recognize that apart from the power of the Spirit in your life, your prayers will not have the impact that you want because you don't know God. Because you don't have a relationship with Him through Jesus. So if you don't yet know God through Jesus Christ, the the one message for you this morning is the way to know him, the way to connect with him in prayer is to begin with one prayer. To acknowledge that you're a sinner and tell God, God, I know that I'm separated from you. I don't know you. I don't have a relationship with you. And apart from God's grace and mercy, all of us are destined for an eternity in hell. But God, thank you that you gave your son Jesus, that Jesus perfect man who is God in the flesh died in my place and rose again so I can have eternal life. All who believe that receive the Holy Spirit and are now connected to God and can converse with him in prayer. If you know Jesus Christ, then how do you grow in prayer? Let me offer a few thoughts this morning. First one is this, just show up. Just show up. I'm going to risk vulnerability here this morning, and I may regret this, but uh, in January, kind of entering into 2017, I joined a gym, right? Uh, Come up after and just tell me I already look stronger, right? Because I... Because I, I decided I'm going to do this. I'm going I'm to join this gym. I'm going to exercise. And, uh, you know, throughout the course of the last, say, two weeks, I, I've actually gone a few times. But I will tell you, every single time that I get up and prepare to go to the gym, I think about all the other people who are in there who are stronger and faster and in better shape than I am. And I go, I don't, I don't want to go and embarrass myself again, right, like I did two days ago and feel slow, and weak, and right, all these thoughts come into my mind. But, but here's what, what I, I've tried to do is say, you know what, I'm just, I'm just going to go. I'm just going to go and show up, right? And they always say, they're, they're glad to see me. I think hidden under there is, you, you need to see us, right, is kind of what they're, <laughs> what they're getting at, right? And they're right, right? They're right. The only way to grow is to simply show up and you do what you can. So they say, okay, everybody do 50 pull-ups and I do five. And then, right, I'm done for the week, right? I go home, you know, I take a shower, whatever it may be. Next time, maybe you do 10. Next time, maybe you do 20 or 25, but you show up. I think prayer is often the same way, right? For many of us, it is just, I I need to show up. I need to take five or 10 minutes during my day that I will show up and I will try. Right? Maybe, maybe your mind at first is filled with distractions because you have all of these uh, resistance methods that you've built up over the years to avoid being still with God. So maybe the first day, it is, it's, it's five minutes and it feels cluttered, it feels ineffective. You show up again tomorrow. You show up again the next day. And you show up again the next day and you build those muscles day after day after day. Just show up. 
You say, I need to go from a zero to a 10. That's the first step. Maybe your best time is first thing in the morning when it's quiet before anybody else is awake. Maybe your best time is late at night after everybody else is asleep. Maybe it's at lunchtime. Maybe there is some hour during the day that you can pull away. And you say, I'm just going to show up and try. I encourage you, wherever you are, make that a discipline. Just like any other discipline in your life. Just show up. And secondly, follow a pattern. Right? Matthew 6 verses 9 through 13. We will look at that this semester as we talk about the gospel of Matthew. It's the Lord's Prayer, right? As you read the Lord's Prayer, essentially the Lord's Prayer includes confession of sin and the Lord's Prayer includes supplication for those things that we need. And then the Lord's Prayer also includes praise to God, right? And as we look throughout the scripture, uh, we see that prayers often include those elements, adoration and thanksgiving of God, confession of sin, and then we bring our requests. Some people like to use a formula that is A-C-T-S, right? Acts, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. And so you have your list of requests, but before you get to that, you praise God for all that he is, and you confess your sin, and you thank him for all that he has given, and then you Bring your requests, right? The the, the value in following a pattern is it takes away that need for us to always show up and go, okay, what am I going to do today? And that discouragement of feeling lost. I mean this very literally. If where you start when you show up is you say, you know what? I'm going to read the Lord's Prayer and pray it back to God. I'm going to open up the Psalms and I'm going to pray these psalms to God. Because the scripture provides the words sometimes that we need. And as we get into that pattern, we begin to grow in our own understanding of prayer. And so you follow some kind of a pattern. I found that to be helpful in my own prayer life. And then thirdly, begin to pray for God's priorities. For me, I think I am often on uncertain footing when I begin to pray because there are things that I want to happen, but I'm not sure if that's God's will or not. I I think maybe it is, but I'm not sure. And so as I pray, I'm not certain if this is something that I ought to be praying for or not. Maybe you've all felt that way. I think there are other things in my life that I go, okay, I know that's consistent with the priorities of God. And maybe where I start is I pray for me to evidence the fruit of the Spirit as I interact with those in my life. Because I go, I know God wants that. I know he wants me to love others. I know he wants me to evidence his joy and his peace and his patience. But if I'm honest, I usually don't. So I start by praying for those things I know God wants, and I work outward from there. Always with the recognition that God is God and I am not. But I seek to align my prayers with God's priorities. And the more we pray, the deeper in line we become with God's will. I often have marveled at the life of George Mueller. George Mueller was a missionary from England, and he built orphan. Actually, he was from Prussia, and then he moved to England, and he built orphanages all over England. 
But, but later in his life, he did a lot of traveling and a lot of speaking. And the thing Mueller was known for was prayer. And as you read his story, you'll see that there, there are specific things that he would pray for. Remarkable things he would pray for that God would provide in a specific way for these orphanages. Or uh, there's a famous story that God would lift the fog so that the boat he was on could go to a certain location so he could minister. And the fog, this unbelievable fog, just lifted. And I read his story and I go, how did that happen? What kind of person was this? And the more I've read it, the more I've realized this was a man who was so accustomed to prayer, who had made it such a habit for so long that he had allowed the Spirit of God to shape his heart into conformity with the will of God. So he had confidence that when he prayed, he was praying God's will. So we begin to say, God, what are the priorities you have for my life, for my family, for my workplace, for my neighborhood, for my world? And seek to pray for those. Right, my exhortation for all of us, primarily though this week, is, is simply just show up. Begin a pattern. Figure out what's the next step that I need to take in my life of prayer to see God work. Would you pray with me? Father, we are grateful for this time. We thank you for the privilege it is even to, to be able to pray because we are sinners who have been forgiven by the death and resurrection of Jesus. As the author of Hebrews says, we now can approach your throne of grace to find mercy and help in our time of need. We are no longer cut off from you because Jesus bridged the gap. So we thank you. Father, we pray that you would empower us to pray, that you would teach us to pray, We think of how Jesus' disciples came and said, Lord, teach us to pray. And Jesus didn't leave them alone to just figure it out, but he gave them a model and a pattern to use. He gave them instruction. And I pray we would hear and read and understand that instruction. And I pray we would would try through your Spirit's power, even when it's awkward and difficult, and we feel that our prayer muscles are weak. Give us that strength and ability to do well. Father, we thank you for this time, and we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful week.